Hello, welcome, and thank you for listening to First Responder Psychological Support. My name is Sarah Gura, and I am a licensed clinical professional counselor, an EMDR therapist, and a yoga teacher. My practice is the Self-Care Path in Burridge, Illinois, where I treat first responders. And this is season three, episode two, After a Bad Call. And as always, I want to encourage everyone to start listening to a podcast that could be challenging or difficult, especially in a very mindful way. And one way to become mindful is to notice what your body is doing right now. So the mind and body are connected. Let's get them into alignment by taking a nice deep breath in. And when you exhale, just go ahead and pull those shoulders down and away from the ears. And take a moment to get comfortable making any movements that you need to in order to rest and relax the body and prepare the mind to listen. Maybe straightening the spine and aligning the neck and head, grounding down through your sit bones if you're sitting down or even spreading the toes and pushing the feet into the floor and again just letting that wave of relaxation take over. I wanted to do this particular podcast because I guess very recently you know I was listening about an intense shooting, there was a horrible car accident, and a fatal fire, and of course this is pretty normal in my work week, but this is the first time since I started the podcast that it made me think of creating a podcast about after a bad call. And so what I'd like to remind everybody is that a potentially traumatic event is a vocabulary term from back after 9-11 happened. So after 9-11, we noticed that we weren't taking care of first responders and their mental health or their behavioral health um, from all the exposure to these traumatic events. And professionals got together, they put the white papers together, they created the 16 life safety initiatives, and number 13 said, first responders and their family members must have access to counseling and psychological support services. And we responded by slapping an EAP number on that, and that's been helpful for some people. Um, In the past, and maybe even currently, your department may be using a chaplain to help process with any first responders about calls that they've been on or life in general. We have also had CISD groups, which when I remember reading the CISD book back in 2010, I thought to myself, wow, well, here it is. (laughs) Like, it's already written. Why aren't we using this? And, you know, the comments and the facial expressions, you know, told me that people weren't a fan of it, but it it was well-written and well-intended. I think the bottom line is, is in a work environment, like, like the fire department or the police department culture, 
which is a very real culture that has an effect on how first responders can or will cope, the group setting just isn't helpful. And it actually can create more trauma or more negative cognitions to hurdle through in order to get to the trauma. So we can do CISD. I know sometimes we have um, connections with peer supporters and they are great to listen, to validate, and to relate to some of the things we have been through. Um, And sometimes I have heard that peer supporters are going out to do a CISD-like group chat, maybe just to talk about available counselors and other services. So we have some options, right? Um, We have the chaplains, EAP counselors, CISD providers, peer supporters. And of course, I want to remind you to support each other without judgment. And I guess that would just be called the brotherhood, uh, whether you're male or female. Uh, I want to use that term in a genderless way if I could. But anyway, a potentially traumatic event is a vocabulary term that came out of that 9-11 tragedy. And we realized some people respond to a trauma differently than another person would. So potentially traumatic event is exactly what it says. It's a first responder language for a traumatic event uh, that could or could not cause acute stress disorder. So let's define it that way. Let's just be very clear. A potentially traumatic event is an incident that has the potential to cause acute stress disorder. And yes, acute stress disorder can develop into post-traumatic stress disorder, um, but I will talk about that in just a moment. I want to admit in my experience that it's different for everyone, but I'm going to break it down in a couple of ways. One of the ways is I think about probies and rookies on uh, their first bad call. Um I don't want you to feel guilty if that was exciting, if it was fun, if you're not focusing on the death or the tragedy, but on the opportunity to use your skills and you don't feel bitter or traumatized about it at all. And maybe you do. Either way would be okay and expected. And the same would go for, you know, any other first responder on the scene. Um, we have to be thankful that you love what you do. If I take a look at a young first responder, so I'm not thinking about age, I'm thinking about time on the job and experience with different types of calls. A young first responder might feel the sting of a bad call, just like anybody would. Um, But maybe they don't feel burnt out by it. Maybe they're not getting compassion fatigue about it like a more experienced first responder. And that would also be normal, either way, actually. So moving up that line from probie or rookie to young first responder to an experienced first responder might start to feel like, hey, (laughs) I've had one too many full arrests, or um, this is one too many car accidents, or this is one too many pediatric calls. Um, or whatever it is that experienced first responder might start to notice the weight 
or finally acknowledge that they have a pattern that maybe after a bad day at work, they're moody or they try drinking or they find themselves um, feeling lazy or taking naps uh, or that's when they get triggered into whatever addiction that they have. So again, just kind of noticing the different changes that happen with more and more experience with potentially traumatic events. Um, I also think about trauma that is untreated first responder types. So there are first responders who have experienced all of these different traumas. They've been the black cloud before. Maybe they were called the angel of death at some point or something similar. And yet they have never treated their trauma. So after a bad call is almost like a ritual now. And they engage all their negative cognitions and their negative behaviors. And it's like the shit hits the fan for them and or their family. And the roller coaster is engaged. So that's a pretty important thing to notice if if you think that you're relating to what I'm describing there. Uh, because you probably need some help after this bad call uh, or for whatever reason made you click on this particular podcast. But the last group that I want to mention are older first responders that are near retirement. Um, They may be thinking, I didn't think I would have to see one more terrible tragedy. I was hoping I could make it, you know, without being involved or seeing this or knowing this, you know, information, they have a collection of memories um, and they're focused on retirement and calming their bodies down, reducing their high blood pressure, preventing stroke or heart attacks. Maybe they've already tried treating a round of cancer um, and this one more bad call is, you know, a serious toll on their mind, body and spirit. So. The truth being that in in any one of these explanations, anyone could feel all of these things, but I find that there is a little bit of that pattern. So again, you're responsible for monitoring yourself, being honest and true to yourself and making sure that you feel good about being a first responder and doing your job. So a potentially traumatic event is an incident that has the potential to cause acute stress disorder. What is acute stress disorder? Um, It is the symptoms that happen 24 hours or within the 24 hours that the bad call happened, and it can last through that 72-hour time frame. Um, If the fire department or police department doesn't really have a good understanding of first responder psychological support symptoms or since we do not have a policy to engage if they're not familiar with what works for their department, this can go beyond the 72 hours um, or even make the 72 hours an exacerbated, more intense or exaggerated trauma experience. So I'm going to talk about, you know, what supervisors can do as well. But acute stress disorder, I'm going to describe it using five criteria. And these are the five criteria for post-traumatic stress disorder. That's what acute stress disorder is. 
So only it's in that short period of time, 24 to 72 hours. So acute stress disorder, the onset is triggered by witnessing or experiencing a life-threatening event. So life-threatening does not mean it has to be fatal. It could be fatal or not. And it doesn't matter if you thought it was life-threatening and someone else did not. It just depends on how the individual perceives it. So it's very subjective. If you perceived it in that moment as life-threatening or once it was over, in hindsight, you started to realize that it was life-threatening or you found out it was fatal, that all counts. The second criteria is that you have intrusive thoughts and other symptoms about the experience that make you feel not like yourself. But I'm definitely going to focus in on the intrusive thoughts that your mind just keeps visiting. You know, even though you don't want to be thinking about it, it just keeps popping up. Your mind keeps visiting the memory. Number three is you're going to try to avoid, but the avoidance is not possible. So you might be in shock, but then as you start to come into noticing what really happened, you might minimize, numb, deny, or ignore the memories of the incident. But that avoidance is not possible. I'm going to keep emphasizing that. The fourth symptom is you have negative thoughts or moods. So thoughts are things that you think. Moods are things that you sense in your body and feel uh, psychologically. And again, you just don't feel like yourself right now. And that makes sense to me. If you witnessed something life-threatening and you're having intrusive thoughts that you can't avoid, I, you know, I would have some negative thoughts and moods from that too. So this is pretty normal, although uh, uncomfortable. The fifth criteria is you have arousal symptoms. So those are thoughts you don't want to have, feelings that you don't like, um, maybe you have sleep disturbance, appetite disturbance, an inability to focus, and digestion changes. So think about your basic daily living tasks, right? And you don't feel like you're quite normal yet. That would be included in those arousal symptoms. So those are the five criteria. And after a bad call, most healthy, high-functioning human beings, who especially are first responders, are going to go through this. And it's very normal for the most part. You recognize, you probably recognize what I'm saying. You've been through it many, many times. Um, And the issue, of course, is when it doesn't resolve on its own. Most of the time it does. Uh, So what are some of the self-care thoughts and ideas after a bad call? One, it's over and you are safe now. And the, the mind doesn't like that very much if there is a trauma that the brain perceives. It might say, well, it's not over because I'm still experiencing it. So I don't feel very safe yet. Um, but it's important to go ahead and reinforce to the mind 
um, that it's over and you are safe and you're in this space. We can hold space for you. If your department is evolved a little bit, like I said before, on psychological support, we can hold space so that your mind and your body can comprehend it's over and you're safe. The other sentence I would suggest is, I did the best I could. Now, some people like to argue that too and tell me, well, I made this mistake or this or that happened and we get hung up on those memories and we create negative cognitions around those memories, that is what can lead you into that potential um, trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, signs and symptoms. So being very careful and go ahead and acknowledge that in every right now moment, we do the best we can with what we had. And if we think we didn't, then we need to just acknowledge, well, at that time, I didn't have that in me. And so I did the best I could. You perfectionists won't handle that well, but it's definitely a self-care thought that I hope everyone learns to engage because it's helpful. Other thoughts could be, I can trust my judgment. I can safely feel or show my emotions. I can make my needs known. I can choose to let it out. I can be myself, I can handle it, I can choose whom to trust or process this with. So those are some really great self-care thoughts and ideas. Um, You may have empathy and compassion for the victims in the, the bad call. And my suggestion, especially within the acute stress disorder timeframe of 24 to 72 hours, is just to notice that. It's a beautiful phrase in EMDR. You don't have to try and stop those thoughts because you can't, you just notice those thoughts. Uh, They do not need your reaction. And so in previous podcasts, I talk about the practice of non-reaction, that just because you think or feel something, it doesn't always warrant a behavior. The other thing is you don't have to judge what you're thinking or feeling. Um, You didn't cause the trauma of the bad call and first responders say this all the time. I did not cause this. I came here to help. I came here to make it better. So non-reaction, non-judgment. And also your thoughts don't need your attachment, by the way. Uh, attachment meaning you don't have to cling to your negative cognitions. In fact, that is a hippocampus activity in your limbic system that definitely creates trauma. So staying away from clinging to, but I could have done better, but we made a mistake. You know, when you start thinking like that, you'll think I'm a bad person. I'm terrible. I'm worthless. I'm shameful. I should have done something. I should have known better. I can't be trusted. Uh, It's not okay to feel my emotions. I'm not in control. I'm powerless. I'm weak. And once you get into that thinking, you are screwing yourself. So stay out of that and don't cling to those thoughts. Um, Noticing them is just what makes you human. And having those thoughts makes you someone who's seeking to learn, to understand. And that's a kind thing to do. But criticizing yourself right now, just it will not help you. Uh, 
Um, sometimes people will ask, well, can we do an after action review? Do you think that that would help? That is not CISD. That is not a trauma protocol. Um, the trauma experts <laughs> don't have anything that says an after action review would be helpful. It is different than self-care. Self-care is what you do first to get grounded and then later you can see what you can learn from a bad call and you can take a look at the insights um, of what you are learning as a professional at this particular time in your career and apply those so that you become a wiser first responder and, and a more skilled or talented one at that. And you're going to need positive cognitions backing you up to learn. So there's a little bit of motivation there. Now, the other thing, other than the self-care thoughts and ideas and noticing the you know, negative and positive cognitions, is to really get into the idea of what I would call parasympathetic activity. So your sympathetic nervous system is what arouses you, stimulates you, it shakes things up. And so that fight, flight, or freeze stuff we have to regulate. So parasympathetic activity is low-key, it's nurturing, it's about meeting your needs, your wants, your preferences. You need to get some time away from what's stimulating the experience or the memory. That would be very helpful. Now, I want to mention, by the way, this parasympathetic activity versus the sympathetic activity. Again, parasympathetic, engage things like breathing, deep breathing, noticing your breath, doing cooling breath if you need to be cooled, warming breaths if you need to be warmed, um, or grounded. You can look up breathing techniques on Google to see maybe what sounds comforting to you. If you just need something simple, just count breaths in and count breaths out. Some people need a visual. Picture a box, breathe in on the side of the box, out across the top. Breathe in, going down the box, and out across the bottom. But finding your breath and aligning the breath and getting in touch with your body is important to get that parasympathetic activity going on. Again, your focus should be on grounding yourself after a bad call. Uh, be sure you eat nutritious foods, hydrate yourself rest and relax your body, meditate. In other words, this is about state changing. You need to state change the mind and body from an arousal state to a calm state. Uh, otherwise, you're just staying and lingering in the trauma. So it's very important to maybe ask yourself, what is normal for me? Um, what's going to make me feel better? And also noticing what's upsetting to you. And when I ask clients this, I don't ask them, well, what did you think? Or what did you feel? Or what did you do? I ask them, what is upsetting to you? And once they identify that, that helps narrow down what's really causing these 
you know, trauma feelings and experiences. And I will also ask them on a scale of zero to 10, 10 being this was very upsetting to you, where would you rank it right now? So if it was on the day that it happened, um, they might say it's a 10. And that gives me a baseline to ask them, okay, at 72 hours, where is it now? And they might say, okay, it's at a six. And then by the time I actually get them in the office, let's say I have an appointment with them to follow up, and I say, okay, where is it on that scale of zero to 10 now? They might say, well, it's at a three. And then I can ask them, what is keeping it at a three? And again, we start narrowing down, okay, what happened? So I, I can say that that progress also helps a lot of my clients. They might um, shoot me a text or call the office to tell me that something terrible happened. And that's just when we begin to monitor what's going on. Now, sometimes they have called or texted and they'll give me that number, right? Like it's at a three, but everyone's freaking out. I think they're at a 10 and I'm only at a three. And then 72 hours later, they're like, the more I see and the more that things unfold, it's like at a six. You know, so noticing whether you're going down on that scale or if you're increasing and noticing why did it decrease and what's lingering or why did it increase, what was making it worse for you is really important. And again, sometimes what makes it worse is when um, a police or fire department does not know how to support their guys after a bad call. Um, sometimes that does happen. So um, what we need to do is to check, you know, once you notice that you have experienced a potentially traumatic event, if there are any negative cognitions or lingering negative cognitions or ones that have been added to the trauma itself that uh, are starting to get attached and linked to the story and to be mindful because treating those different parts uh, matter. Now, the other thing, getting back to the parasympathetic nervous system activity, connecting with family and friends can also be helpful. Uh, if it's helpful to be near work, great. If it's not, listen to your mind and body. Allow yourself to reschedule projects even for a later date. If you were supposed to come home from work and take the family to the zoo, or if you were supposed to come home from work and remodel the kitchen, if you were gonna, you know, go to mom's house and help her with something or help your father, you know, you might have to say, um, I need just to take some time to relax. Uh, there are some people who really do enjoy the distractions and they benefit from it. So go ahead and do the project, go ahead and work out, re-engage your routine or your life. But I'm going to really emphasize that relaxing the mind and body is important and knowing that you know how to state change in your mind and body is important and so one of the popular emdr state changing exercises would be imagining uh, whatever is bothering you as spinning in a circle and I'm just gonna be fast with this, but you can close your eyes and imagine it swirling around or spiraling around. A lot of my clients end up picturing a tornado. Um, when I have done it, I picture a merry-go-round, but I imagine it going around and around and around, and I try to make it as 
terrible as possible, actually, to see how bad can I get this to go. And then I reverse it. I spin the merry-go-round the other way, or my clients will turn the spiral or the tornado into the other direction. And at first, it's, it's very hard for the mind to do that. Uh, and it's like, whoa, like, how come I can't imagine it going the other way? But the, the mind gets stuck a little bit in the reality that it creates. So practicing that state-changing exercise uh, is interesting and also helpful to see, you know, what am I really going for here? Um, again, the mind creates reality. So another way to test that or show you that, uh, I've done this in previous podcasts, but imagine that you have a very beautiful ripe lemon and you're going to cut or slice through the center of it and you get a little bit of the lemon juices on your fingers. So you just kind of, you know, you lick your fingers and you, whoa, that's sour, that's tart, that's, oh, it's a lemon. Uh, and if, if you could picture that, then I want you to picture picking up half that lemon and squeezing all that juice in your mouth and just trying to swallow. As I'm doing this, my saliva glands are really reacting to that. Um, maybe even put that lemon in your mouth and imagine holding it there. And if your saliva glands are activated too, uh, I just helped you create a reality that isn't happening. And so a trauma can create this sensation that it's still happening or that it's still upsetting because that's what your mind keeps going back to. Those intrusive thoughts keep bringing you back and then the sensation gets created in your body. So this is why it's so important to state change into calm and relaxation is to get out of the trauma body and to get out of the trauma mind. So to go a little bit deeper into that, um, if after 72 hours, you're still feeling a little funky or you just want a little check in and check up, counseling um, for trauma uses an, a, a, it's called adaptive information processing, the AIP model approach. And you can seek that out through an EMDR therapist. So you can go on psychology today, click on find a therapist enter the zip code that you're willing to travel to. You can filter it by male or female, by your insurance, and by EMDR provider. And you can ask them for recent trauma protocol intervention. So when you say that to an EMDR therapist, they know that this trauma was recent, that it's not from the past, it's not considered post-traumatic stress disorder yet, that's after 30 days that your mind and body did not resolve what you experienced. And we can, like I said, do that recent trauma protocol with you through eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing therapy. Um, I'm also going to mention that if you think you're doing okay, and you don't seek out counseling or an EMDR therapist, but you find out within like the month, you know, so it hasn't quite been those 30 days yet. Uh, you may like to try EMDR then, 
you know, so if you like to give yourself a little bit of time, but you're in week three and it's just not feeling good, um, you can do trauma-focused therapy. You can do trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy. You can do the EMDR, uh, and that would be helpful in preventing your symptoms from escalating into post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, if you think you're doing okay, but you find out weeks and months from now that this call is still lingering with you, uh, I highly suggest seeking out an EMDR therapist who works with first responders specifically. So I'm going to go ahead and mention the Center for Insight and Connection. This is Patty Durlton's practice. She has years of experience treating first responders in the Northern Illinois area. Uh, if there are other podcast listeners out of Illinois, as I notice in my statistics, I'm going to refer you back to psychology today. Um, but another group to go to in Northern Illinois is the First Responders Wellness Center. This is Dr. Carrie Steiner's practice. And um, as she explains in a previous podcast, she was a Chicago cop and she uh was influenced and motivated to become a psychologist and her practice is made up of first responders who provide clinical therapy to first responders. So the First Responder Wellness Center is the other place that I will mention that you can go to. Uh, Now regarding supervisors, potentially traumatic events can be very disorienting within the first 24 hours. We do not have a psychological injury policy, but let's say that your guy got injured and he had to go to the hospital. (laughs) Like it kind of becomes obvious that, okay, he's injured, he's in the hospital. All of you will maybe gather the shifter crew to that hospital or location, although maybe not in COVID, but we all know we did this in the past. And we would assume, okay, we're going to cover a shift, we're going to take care of him, and everything's going to be okay. But with a psychological injury, the first 24 hours is just as disorienting, but way less obvious. And what I have seen is um, supervisors wanting, well, you better call me. Are you coming to work or are you not coming to work? And what do you mean you need a day off? For what? And it, it seems you know, like the person who has the trauma is on trial, you know. So maybe just a thought to remember that they could be just as disoriented or unavailable in those first 24 hours and reaching out to them and talking with them is so significantly important. It's appropriate even um, if you're right then and there with them to send people home to chill out and to not re-stimulate them with another potentially traumatic call or a feeling that something must be wrong with them, right? So we always had this, you know, don't talk about it, don't cry about it, don't ask for help or something must be wrong with you. And that's just not the case. Remember the first 24 to 72 hours, this is very normal. Even though we don't have a policy for it, it is a very well known and researched fact in the trauma uh, therapist community uh, and this American Psychiatric Association. So 
It's also okay, by the way, for people to stay on shift, and honesty helps to define the choice per person in that case. But again, being, I, I wish I could say gentle. <laughs> I don't know if police and fire departments know gentle, but be, be gentle, calm, parasympathetic nervous system stuff is what we're going for. Um, because potentially traumatic events can take 72 hours for symptoms to de-escalate. And your goal, your goal for your guys um, or gals, right, is homeostasis, is to allow them to create balance. And right now, we don't have a system that promotes balance. We promote inflammation, unfortunately. Um, but I'm going to emphasize again, since I'm talking to supervisors right now, it can take 72 hours for some symptoms to de-escalate, and this is normal. It's very human. There's no need to sound alarms at this point. You don't have to send people to therapy or for fit-for-duty exams. Uh, but I find myself doing that to um, help my clients uh, protect them, you know, and say, okay, here's the sick note. And for some departments that don't want to hear it from a master's level therapist, um, I do understand that there's legal issues, there's no policy. And so, you know, we can refer to psychologists that are at the doctoral level uh, to help us out with that. But again, self-care, which to me is a very mindful activity, is important for your guys at this point. And wellness planning is probably the best or better intervention. And wellness planning means that you identify a category of need, want, or preference. You set a goal for that, and then you create the objectives. And if you complete the objectives, which are usually, I will go home, you know, I will um, do some meditations, I will eat nutritious food and be sure that I hydrate. When you do the I will, I will, I will, you get rid of the I need to calm down, I need to relax, I need some time alone, I need some time with a peer. And when we take care of our needs and our wants and our preferences, we get rid of the categories that start to pop up. Like I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I'm tired, I'm disoriented, I'm struggling. So making sure that you have some kind of wellness plan that again identifies categories of needs, wants, and preferences with a defined goal and a set of objectives to accomplish your goal is really important. So if anyone is noticeably struggling or they admit they are having difficulty recovering from a very normal 72-hour acute stress disorder experience due to a potentially traumatic event, it is your responsibility, right, as a supervisor, so I'm still talking to supervisors in this part, to maintain the health and safety of your department. Um, support your employee by encouraging counseling, using a sick day, doing their part to get better and to get better enough to go back and ready for work. Uh, if they refuse, though, for some reason, let's say that you have an employee that is refusing to do their part to self-care, and they are not getting better. On that scale of zero to 10, it's getting worse. They're becoming an 11 or a 15 or a 20. That's a completely different personnel issue. And I can help you address that at a later time, but I really wanna focus this on what happens after a bad call. 
And of course, you also hopefully know what to do if you have a behavioral health problem, an attitude problem, a mental health problem, or a performance issue otherwise. Um, But sometimes we don't, and we need help with that, and it's always okay to ask. But for the most part, an acute stress disorder experience is not what anybody wants. So if they're experiencing it, uh, the goal, again, is to help, to support, uh, and to act as responsibly as possible. So that is my little drop in the bucket for getting started with what we can do after a bad call. My name is Sarah Gura, and I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor at the Self-Care Path in Burridge, Illinois, where I treat first responders. And I'm going to remind you to do life so it doesn't do you, to take good care, and of course, to stay very safe. All right. Take care, guys.